0: Hi guys, welcome back to the Banana Bag Podcast. A banana bag is another name for an IV medication given in the hospital to kind of be a super boost for your body. In that same way, we want this podcast to be a super boost for you, empowering both healthcare professionals, but also patients and anyone who wants to learn more about our healthcare system. I'm super excited about our episodes this month because we're doing back-to-back OT episodes. And if you don't know what an OT is, it's an occupational therapist. And if you don't know what an occupational therapist does, that's okay. That's what this podcast is for. So this week, we're speaking with someone who specializes in occupational therapy with geriatrics. And next week, we'll be speaking with someone who works in pediatrics. So it'll be super interesting to hear the difference in their jobs. And you can have the same title, but work with completely different populations. So for this week, I'm speaking with Curtis. Curtis is an occupational therapist who works in geriatrics. And geriatrics can sometimes be loosely defined. It sometimes means older than 65, and it sometimes means older than 50. So those are his patients. Curtis and I talk about a lot of interesting things in the episode. We talk about the roles of an occupational therapist. We talk about what his job entails, what, what it means for his patients when they see an occupational therapist. We talk about some awesome success stories, and we also talk about some harder moments in the occupational therapist's role. I hope you guys enjoy listening to the episode. Don't forget to subscribe and find us on social media at The Banana Bag Podcast, or visit our website for more information, including ways to support us, thebananabagpodcast.com. I'm really excited for you guys to hear the episode. So here's Curtis, an occupational therapist. Hi, Curtis. Thanks for joining me today. Hi. So you are an occupational therapist, right?
1: As far as I know, that's what my license says.
0: (laughs) So I'm really excited to talk to you because even I don't know a lot about occupational (laughs) therapy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to do this.
0: And you actually have your own podcast, right?
1: Yeah, a friend and I uh, have a podcast. Uh, It's called Words with Curtis and Zach because we think the art of conversation, what we're doing here today, is not something that's used in our common culture as much as it used to be. We have TikTok mm-hmm. now, we have Instagram, we have Facebook. That's how we communicate, especially over the last year, right, with mm-hmm. social isolation and COVID and all those things. That's that's what we're using more and more to communicate with. Um so we pick a word each week and that's the title of the episode. So it's not something you have to listen to every single week. You can pick a word you like and listen to that word if you're interested in it. We had one where we talked about men. We had one where we brought our wives on and talked about women <laughs> because we're definitely not the experts on that. Um, but if you want to check it out, uh, you can find us at words underscore pod on Instagram or words with C and Z on Facebook. If you want to search us, it's just a big black banner with a white you know logo that says words on it. We'd love it if you took a listen and let us know how you liked it and, you know, gave us a clue for the next word you want to hear because that's what it's all about.
0: I feel like that's really important. Like you were saying during times like we're in now to build, to be building conversation and building even those skills of conversation. So can you kind of talk to me about like what an occupational therapist is and like what your roles are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so primarily what I tell my patients at least is an occupational therapist gets you back to doing the things you need to do and the things you want to do. A lot of times in my setting, that means doing your morning routine, getting dressed, going to the bathroom, taking a shower, brushing your teeth, et cetera. Because um, a lot of what we focus on is those everyday necessities. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of what we see, at least in hospitals, skilled nursing are individuals who need to practice that. They broke a hip, had a stroke, fractured something and all of a sudden it's hard to put your pants on again because you just had a right hip fracture and how are you supposed to put your pants on if you have to maintain you know posterior hip precautions well that's where Mm -hmm. we come in so that's a lot of what we do but we also work with hand therapy and have different certifications for all things all across the board from driving rehab and driver's training rehab after an injury to mental health to like i said hand therapy it, there's a lot of things to do. Um,
0: That's crazy that there's certifications for those specific things like driving.
1: Yeah. I—that That is not something I have a passion for. I salute <laughs> those who do because that sounds terrifying to me, training somebody to drive again. Very high stakes every time you get on the road.
0: That sounds like a lot of liability. Yeah, too.
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so what what do you specifically focus on?
1: So I work in geriatrics. Um so I typically work with individuals who are 50 or above and have had some time in the hospital, um, haven't progressed enough to go home yet, so they come see me. Um, I work in a skilled nursing facility setting, so we mm-hmm. have a pretty effective team right now. We typically try and keep people for one or two weeks, get them rehabbed and get them home. Um, I always, again, tell my patients, you know, it's we can make it as comfortable here for you as you like. But it's not home,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know. So the goal is as as much as possible to get people home. I hate having conversations with with family that are, you know, your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or whoever isn't strong enough to go home by themselves. That is my least mm-hmm. favorite conversation to have with family.
0: Mm-hmm. So is that is occupational therapy more of a short term like acute treatment or? do can people like see occupational therapy like like on a monthly basis more long term
1: yeah absolutely so you can see an occupational therapist for that short-term acute uh, purpose or stay um, if the purpose is to go home but a lot of what we do is really based on quality of life as well um, mm-hmm. part of our practice our framework is to make sure that we're uh, maintaining a high quality of life bringing that quality of life to individuals we We really focus on holistic health. So we do have individuals at my building who live there long term. And it's my job to make sure that those individuals, if they need help with something, they've declined or they're showing the potential for improvement. It's my job to help them reach those goals to make sure they're living their, it sounds cliche, but their best life.
0: That that's a good goal. That seems like a rewarding job.
1: <laughs> it it can, I mean, just like any other job, there are plenty of great things and there are plenty of challenges.
0: Mhm. So, I did some research a little bit of, on occupational therapy mm-hmm. and I saw that recently like the educational requirements have changed right so have. you have to have a master's now to do it
1: yeah so it's been a master's for a while um oh, okay. not too long it's it's probably the last and i haven't done any research so i could be wrong i want to say though it's been the last 10 years 10 15 yeah, years saw maybe? Since
0: 2007
1: okay yeah so about yeah 10 13 years 14 it's 2021 now <laughs> <laughs> um and actually there recently has been a push to increase the educational requirements to a doctorate so more oh, and more really? programs yep you'll be seeing more and more programs offering occupational therapy as a doctorate program um i don't know when but there was something signed by AOTA which is our national you know American Occupational Therapy Association um and our licensing board to transition that to a doctorate. I'm not sure when that will happen off the top of my head, but it is going that direction.
0: I talked with a nurse about this before, but Mm -hmm. I totally understand. I know it might be annoying, but I totally understand why they're increasing the educational requirements. I mean, even for a nurse, I almost feel like they should because I feel like Every day, our scopes are increasing, our scope of practice is increasing. Right. And I feel like it's crazy. Like, even I've only worked as a nurse for like a little over two years, but I feel like I can already do more than when I started.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, When I was in school, uh, and I've been a therapist for, I graduated in 2017. So, almost four years now. Um, but when I was in school, they always taught us, told us, um, that they're teaching us to be entry level generalists, right. Being pretty good at a lot of things, but not amazing at anything. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, I feel that when you get that extra level of education, whether it's through a doctorate or through a really intensive placement that you're working at, that that's, that's what brings that extra level of skill for you you know. Um,
0: yeah, it's the same with nursing. Like mm-hmm. you you get a really, really general sense in nursing school. But then after nursing school, you I have probably like seven certifications really specific to my floor, like the emergency room. Right. So, that, yeah, that's a good way to put it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I th- with education, you know, the education uh standard increasing, I really it would be really nice to also see, you know, the I think I don't want to say salary or pay, but the compensation and the respect Mm -hmm. increase as well. But I feel like that takes a little bit longer too. (laughs) Yeah, but that's
0: a good point. I never, I didn't think about it like that. That's well, you have an
1: extra year of school, right? So it's an extra year of loans, an extra year of debt, an extra year of not working. It
0: it adds up. Mm -hmm. It can. So I'm sure you get this question all the time, and. I don't mean to be annoying, but no, you're fine. can you explain the difference between a PT and OT, a physical therapist and an occupational therapist?
1: One's just one year less of school, and that's it. No, um, <laughs> physical therapy—it you know—it's a fine line sometimes because we'll work on some similar things. Um, physical therapy, in in my mind, is a lot more geared toward your um, biomechanical health. Uh, you injured your knee, you had a knee replacement, let's say, and their focus on that knee replacement is to make sure that you strengthen the muscles around your knee so you can walk, so you can get across the room so you can get up out of bed so you can get up out of your chair. Um, the focus is largely around the musculature around your knee, your core stability, your stability at your hips, all of those things, uh, occupational therapy, Considers those, but we really focus more on getting that person back to being functional. So instead mm-hmm. of looking at the muscles, we look at okay, you had a knee replacement, you're having a difficult time getting your undergarments on, getting your pants on, um, you know, getting up off the toilet, standing for long enough to brush your teeth at the sink, uh, basic things like that, all the way to This individual I'm working with is a woodworker and needs to stand up to do their, you know, woodworking activity. I'm not a woodworker, so I don't know. Chisel, I'm not (laughs) sure. Um, To build their birdhouse at their workbench. How long does it take them to do that? When do they take breaks? Okay, we need to train them to be able to stand for 15 minutes so that they can do those activities that are important to them. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that makes sense because you kind of help them do... It's called ADL in the healthcare yes. field, but activities of daily living and yes. physical therapy more focuses on like the specific area.
1: Yep. They they focus more on making sure you can you can get around your house or get around your community or get up out of your chair, or, you know, get to doing those things that are your self cares or activities of daily living and we do those activities of daily living.
0: I see. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for explaining that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can you kind of go over what a day in your life looks like at work? Like, Absolutely. what types of things you help people with? What, mm-hmm. like, are your most common types of patients you see? And then, and obviously, it's going to be different for you versus other OT because you focus on geriatrics. There's right. other OTs that focus on pediatrics, but mm-hmm. kind of, can you go over that for us? Yeah.
1: So, a daily. A day in the life, at least for me, would be getting to work. I usually get there earlier in, early in the morning. My fellow employees are very, uh, very early risers as well, so I'm usually the first one there, but not at the place I'm currently at. They're all ready to go as soon as possible. Um, but I'm there about 7.30, so I can get in the rooms and work on those ADLs, help them get ready in the morning, get dressed, go to the bathroom, mm. get there. Teeth brushed. Yeah, that like seems that.
0: like the time you want to be there because you're yep. helping them with those natural things that they would be doing. Yep.
1: <laughs> Naturally, you're waking up around that time and doing those things. Um, so I'll have those focused sessions in the morning. So it rotates between my patients. To uh, you know, I'll see one or patient A and B on Monday doing those morning things. I'll see patient C and D on Tuesday doing those things. Um, in the middle of the morning, maybe we have some late risers, so I do the same thing. Uh, After that, I'll focus on things like standing balance or upper extremity exercise, uh, things that you can do after you've gotten dressed. I'm not above teaching people to get dressed after they've gotten dressed, though. If if that's (laughs) something they need to work on, I'll make them put their shirt back on. I will do it. (laughs) Um, So I'll do that. We'll do showers sometimes as well. Um, Lunchtime usually is the perfect time to see if people can self-feed themselves, so Uh, when I'm looking at that, I'm looking at, can, you know, a patient see their food on their plate? Do they have enough, uh, contrast between their plate and their food, a plate and the table? Um, are they able to utilize their utensils appropriately? Do the utensils need to be heavier, bigger? Do they need to not have to, you know, uh, retract, you know, their scapula? Do they need to make sure that they can bend their wrist a specific way? Things like that. So we focus on those things um, for self-feeding, you know, drinking all of that good stuff. And then the afternoon, maybe another shower. And then a lot of our activity tolerance standing, uh, doing things at Sinkside. We'll do activities at standing that they enjoy. I play a decent amount of cribbage here and there. We'll do craft (laughs) projects. Like I said, if we have woodworkers, you know, we have birdhouses that we can build, things we can paint, stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, with any therapy or any healthcare lunch when I'm not working is usually documenting, making sure I've got those, (laughs) got those important (laughs) things down. Um, Mm -hmm. end of the day is documenting as well. Um, a little team collaboration here and there throughout the day to make sure we're doing what's best for our folks and, uh, head home.
0: One thing that I'm really understanding about occupational therapy is, They really look at the person holistically. Yes. I feel like a lot more than other professions, but I feel like you really go in and see what they do during the day, what they Mm -hmm. need specific for them. I think that's really great that occupational therapy looks at what this specific person needs, like the woodworker that you were talking about, and helps them specific to their needs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed that part of, you know, that part of therapy, I get to do some extra things with individuals that maybe you don't get to do otherwise. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things I did with, with one patient, uh, I, the individual did his own shoveling, Uh, he was fairly high level patient. Um, and he was really worried winter was coming up, it was fall, and he was really worried about being able to shovel his uh, sidewalk, not his driveway, that was too much. He knew he couldn't do that. But he wanted to be able to shovel his walk up to his front door kind of sidewalk. So it was 70 degrees out, but we went outside, I found a snow shovel from my house, and we got some <laughs> ankle weights and threw them on the ground and said, Okay, usually you you're going to be shoveling about five pounds of snow. I want you to shovel these leg weights, you know, off to the side and we're going to create a path. And there was just a path of weights down this sidewalk. <laughs> and we got to walk down oh the sidewalk gosh, shoveling awesome. weights to the side. It looked, I'm sure if you walked by, it looked really You're dumb. Like, but I tell you what, that was a great <laughs> session.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I I feel like it's fun to approach as an occupational therapist to different patients because they each need different things. So it's kind of like a puzzle trying to figure it out and trying to figure out therapy unique to them. So that's really yeah, cool. It really is. That's yep. awesome. I we've seen some of the cool parts about being an occupational therapy. Can mm-hmm. you talk about like what are what are what are the hardest parts of being an occupational therapist?
1: Yeah. So uh, I would say the hardest parts of being an occupational therapist is being there, you know, in those moments when things aren't going well. You have an individual mm-hmm. who was a caregiver for their significant other or a caregiver for their kid or their sister or brother and you have to have that discussion with them that that's something that you might not be able to do now because of mm-hmm. you know secondary to what's happened in the hospital their current health status maybe they shouldn't have been doing that in the first place so th- those those are hard when you're when you're in there with the patients or with the family and you you don't have good news for them. I love sharing good news. Everyone does. Um, But it's also really important to be real and be practical and make sure that your patient isn't going back home and putting themselves in a dangerous position where you're going to see them again and they're worse off and they're worse off. And it gets harder and harder to get back home, back to where they want to be. That's Mm -hmm. difficult.
0: I bet it's hard to be in the room and Tell someone that their life is going to have to change, change and yeah. they don't have the Well,
1: Change is scary. And we're, I mean, we're hopefully part of that life staying the same because that was the quality of life they had before. But there are going to be times where you have to make changes based on your current health status. And that's just, mm-hmm. that's just part of life. I can't run the same way I used to when I was 16 playing sports three, you know, year round <laughs> three seasons. That's, that's part of life. Could I do something to change it? Absolutely. Do I? Not always. I sit at home and I watch Netflix when, when I shouldn't. <laughs>
0: that Yeah, that sounds like a difficult situation to be in, especially when it's something that's probably really close to their hearts, like mm-hmm. taking care of a family member or yeah. something.
1: You know, we have people who were working still. I have a gentleman who refinished floors and, you know, was off one day at home and broke his hip and I, you know having that conversation of maybe you need to retire or maybe you shouldn't drive anymore, or, you know, those conversations, maybe you can't take care of your spouse. Those are, those are difficult Mm -hmm. conversations. And it's something, it's really important that you have that relationship, that professional relationship, or we, I guess we call it a therapeutic relationship with your patient (laughs) so that they trust you. They know you're coming from a good place and you're not just telling them that they can't do things anymore because that's, your job, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Anything else that really comes to mind when you think about the hard parts about being a occupational therapist?
1: Um, obviously, you know, insurance is uh, always the best part of my job. Um, <laughs> insurance.
0: I, I can't wait for you to hear my first episode because half of it is about insurance. About and insurance. every topic oh, we yeah. talk about, it ends you know. up coming back to insurance. <laughs>
1: I always say insurance is great to have until you have to use it and then they find every reason to get you out or have you Mm -hmm. stop receiving care because, you know, they make money by you being healthy. You would think that they want you to be healthy so they get you the care you need when you need it so that you don't leave too early Mm -hmm. and end up having to come back. But that's not always the case. It's it's a right now mentality versus a long-term mentality. There needs to be more. I would say more effort for preventative health and maybe, you know, it's just the individuals not reaching out and doing those things, but it's also, I think part of the insurance, partly the insurance, not allowing them to stay that extra three days for them to get just a little stronger and home.
0: Mm. There's
1: days where it's like, I need two more days with this person and I know I can get them back to independent and we just don't get it. And it's, it's hard.
0: And I feel like you as the therapist, know like how many more days they need not and who's making the decisions about that the insurances right we,
1: yeah a lot of times you know people will say well it's it's the doctor or it's the nurse or it's the therapist that's making that decision and a lot of times it's insurance saying well this is the last day we're going to cover them and mm. we say well they need three more days than that to get to where we think we project they will be ready to go home and in the end, it's the insurance's call because we're not going to force them to stay three days where they have to stay out of. They have to pay out of pocket. I'm not. We're just not going to do that.
0: It would be a great place to be at if you were making the decisions about that because it would be you're that educated <laughs>
1: That would be great.
0: <laughs> Ideal world, that would be yeah. amazing.
1: I think uh, therapy specific too. Um, the therapy world is really driven on uh, productivity which is fine. Everybody has their things they have to meet in order to be a high performer in their job, right? Everybody Yeah, I totally understand that coming yep.
0: from the emergency room. <laughs> yeah,
1: everybody has their requirements in order to have had a good day. You did a good job today at work. And ours is based on productivity. You have four hours of treatment. You're allotted 10 hour or 10 minutes per hour, not even. Less than that eight minutes per hour to document and do things outside of that. Wow other than that, you need to you know be working with your patients, which again, you need to have some kind of you know accountability for your staff. I get that.
0: But when it comes to that point but where when it comes
1: to a profitability the point, yep, there have been multiple there have been multiple places that have slowly increased the percentage as I've been there longer and I get it you get used to where you're at you get things work smoother I understand that but it's not just me it's all of the therapists it's Mm -hmm. you know the entire company and those expectations slowly bump up to where you don't have that time to talk to your therapists Mm -hmm. to collaborate to confer with nursing or the doctor because you are only working with patients and you are only documenting and that's all you have time for and then you take your 30 minutes at lunch to just
0: try to breathe. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a huge thing in healthcare in general. I feel like it's pretty common knowledge that micromanaging does not bring good results, (laughs) but (laughs) the amount of micromanaging that I see in the ER and just throughout the healthcare system and like with what you're saying is crazy. Like just counting the minutes that you're supposed to be doing something or in the ER they can keep track of like where you are or how many been mm-hmm. how many minutes you've been in this room versus how many minutes did it take you to do that so there right. has to be some flexibility with mm-hmm. how different patients are like some patients are going to need more than others and right there has to be more trust that the professional is going to read the situation right and yep. there just has to be i under like you said i understand having some guidelines like maybe you have to see this amount of patients per day or something like mm-hmm. that but you can divide it up like the person that should decide how much time this person needs to be with occupational therapy should be the occupational therapist.
1: Absolutely. And you know, it's, playing devil's advocate too, there's going to be people who abuse that system and work nine hours Mm -hmm. in a day if they're paid hourly to get overtime because that's what they wanted. Well, those people are doing the wrong thing, too. Yeah. You know, there's there's a there's got to be a middle where maybe you're not paid hourly, hourly, maybe you're paid salary and you work with those people how however long you clinically think they need it to get where they were previously or where they need to be. And And I feel
0: like there could be other processes to weed those people out that are abusing the system.
1: Mm -hmm. I I agree. I agree. In a perfect (laughs) world, right?
0: I just feel like micromanaging is so obviously (laughs) not productive. Like my husband works for a tech company and the first thing on their culture is we don't micromanage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's just hard when all the decisions are coming top down and the person like actually doing the bedside care doesn't participate in any of the decisions and that's I feel like that gets frustrating for the patient too because the patient's like you can see that I need more you can see like why aren't you doing anything about it and you basically say I can't do anything about Mm -hmm. it and it just creates also creates this type of weird relationship where you're the one helping them but also you don't have power over anything so you can't make any of the decisions and It just turns into a mess. I'm getting worked up. (laughs) I
1: hear you. I, you know, uh, healthcare is a great thing, um, but there are too many times where healthcare is driven to be profitable and healthcare was Mm -hmm. never meant to be profitable, right? The recent changes in with Medicare and the payment system from uh, what, at least in the therapy world, we called rug levels um, to get a patient to a specific level, um, which was their highest reimbursement. Uh, So, you know, you got reimbursed the most. So patients were getting 70 minutes of therapy per session. Now we've changed to a different program starting last October or no, not last October, two Octobers ago, October of 2019, I believe, to a PDPM based system. Uh, Maybe it was last October. It feels like forever. I don't know.
0: This year's been a long one. (laughs) Right.
1: And yeah. Um, And the PDPM system is stated as a patient driven payment model. Well, it's not patient driven when I went from seeing a patient for 70 minutes for a session. Now the longest I'm allowed to see them is 45 minutes. That's oh, not, wow. that's not a building thing. That's, that's a Medicare thing.
0: And they give it that name to make it sound good. And they but give it, it that name.
1: Yeah, I was, I, exactly. I, if it was truly patient driven, there might be some patients I only see for 30 minutes cause that's what they need. And there might be some patients I see for 70 because that's what they need. That's patient driven. Um, I was just talking with a colleague of mine today about how in the '90s um, there was a medical reductionist kind of approach. It was very reductionist, very, you know, medically diagnosis driven. And what it focused on was making sure those specific factors were better and then they got sent home or then they were deemed healthy or whatever factor they were being assessed at. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they've gotten, they they said it was terrible, you know, at the end of the 90s, oh, this is a terrible system. We need to fix this. So in the 2000s, they went to a different system. Then the 2010s, they updated it more. And now that we're to the end of the 2010s and into the 2020s, they updated the system again and completely changed it. And I feel like we've gone back to that reductionist viewpoint, mm. but we just called it something different and put a different hat on it and said it was different. But it's not. <laughs> but it's not. It's it's very reductionist and it's very minimalistic for what we can provide for our patients uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. People, you know, people from Medicare will tell you differently, but I can tell you being on the ground floor that it's taking away from the amount of treatment and the amount of value that we can give our patients because of how long we can spend with them and where we're at obviously right now with the pandemic doesn't help either but Mm -hmm. it it limits our our hands-on
0: time it really does yeah that's hard especially when you're on the front lines and seeing what the patient needs like Mm -hmm. i said so with all these complications with insurance and micromanaging that we've talked about how what do you recommend to your patients or their families to make make the most out of their sessions with absolutely
1: um You know, because you have to, if you have a challenge that's put in front of you, you have to have something to overcome at a bridge you can build over it. So I tell my patients, you know, I'm doing half of the work for you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Anything you do, whether it's your job, your marriage, your friendships, your schooling, sports, whatever, if you're only putting in the work while that individual is there working with you, you're not, you're not going to get the results you want. So I educate my patients to practice things when I'm not there because I'm only there for 45 minutes, you know, 40 to 45 minutes per day, five days, six days a week. It really comes down to, yes, 50% of it is working on those skilled things that we need to work on. The other 50% is you or the patient practicing those things, working on exercise, working on putting on their socks with the adaptive, you know, sock aid that we trained with earlier. Uh, Mm -hmm. on their own time because it's that extra time that you put in that's going to bring that extra value that's going to get you home. Right. So
0: you're kind of talking about like making up for the lost time on their own. Yeah.
1: And even even when I was seeing, you know, patients for a longer session, I would still tell them practicing on your own is going to get you your best results. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't you don't go to class and write all your notes and then never look at them again and then go to the test and feel like you're going to ace it Mm -hmm. you go home you study you put in the the work to get you where you need to be and it's the same thing i think it's the same thing with life it's the same thing in therapy too you get those you get that education you get that practice in with that skilled individual who knows what they're talking about and then you practice those things afterward to make sure that you understand and you can do those things And if you keep practicing, you get better at it and better at it so that when the time comes that you need to do that and you're home and you're sitting on the edge of your bed and you need to put your socks on, you're confident that you can do it Mm -hmm. and you're not worried about going with one sock on, one sock off all day.
0: Mm -hmm. Besides knowing that the things at home matter and the things you do in your off time counts or like when they're not with you, is there anything else like you wish your patients knew either before your session or just about their? care or things like that (laughs) things i wish
1: my patients knew other than that i hate waking you up i hate waking you up in the morning and from (laughs) now i hate it it's the worst any cost i will avoid waking a patient up unless it's the last possible thing seriously a midday nap i get it you're tired i'm tired if i could take a nap in the middle of the day i would it's i I hate I, i hate taking people away from things that they're doing um because to me like we've said, being a holistic, you know, taking a holistic approach. If I'm taking them away from something that they find meaningful, then that's reducing the quality of their day. Mm -hmm. So if Mm -hmm. I can try to maintain that quality of the day for them, so that's a real bummer.
0: (laughs) Um, And I feel like with the things that we were talking about, with your time being more managed, it's probably harder to adapt the patient's care to things like that.
1: You know, initially, definitely. um, But just like anything, you find ways to, to work around those those things. It, it means maybe you have to be flexible, and you don't see the patient that you were planning on at that time. You go see somebody else. But, the, you know, those are the things you get good at after getting used to having to maintain that flexibility.
0: Mm-hmm. Moving on from things that you wish patients knew. Yeah. Is there anything that you wish your fellow healthcare professionals knew besides? Me being a nurse and not knowing exactly <laughs> what your job <laughs> entails. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anything that you wish your fellow healthcare professionals knew?
1: Um, I, you know, I think, I think this goes for every healthcare professional. It would be, healthcare would go so much smoother. Things would go so much better if each individual in healthcare from CNAs to nurses to doctors to dietary aides to whoever, janitors, you know, anybody, activity directors, if we all had a better understanding of the purpose of our of each individual's job. Mm. If you know, if nursing had a better understanding of what an occupational therapist did and why they did it, if occupational therapy had a better understanding of why the nurse needs to come in and give these meds at this exact time or take the blood take some blood pressure or mm-hmm. do a skin assessment, mm-hmm. why it's important to do it right at that time, or why it's indicated clinically indicated or we need to do this now and it's not just cuz I want to interrupt you cuz I saw you go down there because we know that's not the case nobody likes interrupting anybody else I think
0: mm-hmm.
1: having a better idea of the purpose and the reason why a profession is there I think would would benefit you know every every single aspect of healthcare
0: Yeah, I totally understand. I mean, I don't work with a lot of OTs in the ER, but I remember when I was a nurse tech on the floor, like a nurse aide, Mm -hmm. I would see like therapy with them. And I couldn't tell you probably if it was OT or PT, but probably OT now that I'm thinking about it. And they were like, I remember like, I would see them like standing with the patient and I'm like, I got to take the vitals. Come on. Vitals are more important than standing Mm -hmm. I I got (laughs) to be able to
1: take these vitals. (laughs) I got to get to the next person. I got to get this done. You know, they have got to get in the system because they have to be reported. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) And the long-term goal, if they go home and they can't stand up, they're going to be right back there in the hospital the next day. And if
1: they can't maintain a safe level of their blood pressure while they're sitting down or standing up or doing whatever, they're not medically safe to go home.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah. That's a good point.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, uh, another example for a nurse's aid, you know, I know wherever you go, nursing aides, I feel like, are always short staffed. Mm-hmm. It's it's a chronic thing.
0: I uh, mean, it's a hard job. So. It is. Oh, absolutely. and they are not They're in the trenches paid well every enough. single they are day. I not agree. Paid
1: <laughs> I agree 100%. But If they had a better understanding of what occupational therapy did, and maybe this is my lack of understanding of why, (laughs) you know, why a nursing aide needs to do what they do. Um, Mm -hmm. But if they force the patient, if they knew we're working on dressing, like occupational therapy in my setting is a lot of times we're definitely working on dressing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're helping that patient get dressed that morning. Encourage them to do as much as possible on their own instead of, you know put your shirt on, rotate left, put one leg of the pants on, rotate right. Put the other leg of the pants on, you know, rotate again. You know, you're Mm -hmm. doing log rolls back and forth to make sure that you can get the pants on. We're good to go. Next person. Forcing them to do those things in the morning. If I'm not there, we'll just help Mm -hmm. them get home. Right. Help them get stronger. But I get it. You have 20 people you have to help get dressed and breakfast comes in 20 minutes. And (laughs) what are you supposed to do? I understand.
0: Yeah, no, I totally understand. Like, I, I don't know if there could be, like, a system where OT would maybe put three, mate, like, I don't know, like, three things they're working on with the patient, mm-hmm. and then, if like, yeah, I don't know. There could be some better communication system, I feel like, because everyone is in a hurry. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's a good point. That's interesting. <laughs> it's It's just crazy to think about all the things that go on in a patient's care. It's so complex, and the different... Right professions are so complex it's just crazy right? And,
1: there, and there's a purpose for each one of them and I think at times we forget the purpose
0: mm-hmm. yeah you know, that's it's exactly just you're in my you're way saying. I'm
1: supposed to be in here right now <laughs> my time
0: yeah just I feel like you guys like I was saying you guys look at it more holistically and I feel like the care in general should be looked at more holistically so it's probably hard when I mean we I mean other professions like nurses, we try to look at the patient holistically, but I feel absolutely. like for you, it's probably hard when you're trying to think about them long-term, but we're more focused on medically in the moment. And I could totally see how that, like the care is, becomes chaos.
1: <laughs> it, it, it definitely can. And it really just, I think it comes down to, you know, I've, I've known some nurses that are absolutely fantastic and they kick butt and you talk to them and they're on top of it. And then I've talked to other nurses who are just there to give the meds and get the stuff done that they're supposed to. I, I've seen the same with therapists. Um, mm-hmm. I think it comes down to person to person, you know, how, how much effort you put in is what you get out. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. I I'm thinking back to when I was a CNA or nurse aide, and I'm thinking about the thing that bothered me most about the therapist was when yeah. they would like come out and tell me that a patient needs something
1: oh, I know. and then
0: like sit outside of the room while I did it and like not like I understand oh, that so you <laughs> don't want to help change the patient but like even if there was something like offering is there like something that, and Can I, I would probably even say no because I would feel bad for making you do this because it's my job but like yeah that's the thing that bothered me the most was like when they would come out of the room like say oh the patient needs this and then go and like sit and talk to someone for 20 minutes and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a two-person job so yeah it's just good i hear you
1: (laughs) the worst the worst feeling in the world for me is when i'm leaving and the patient goes oh i need a cup of coffee and i can't get a cup of coffee for them that easily and my day is uh you know bent on productivity like we talked about and so Mm -hmm. i'm walking by and i walk past one of the aides. i'm like hey i'm so sorry but you know, 115 really needs, uh, really wants a cup of coffee. And that's why their light's on, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like if there's just that communication where like, I need to move out of my next patient or something, because even just telling a nurse aid what they want, I feel like helps out because that mm-hmm. removes the extra trip to the room. So
1: Right. Or even uh, okay, I'm gonna go in here and I have no idea what I'm walking into, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Makes it a, makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll try to do better about that. You're right.
0: <laughs> so I mean I have to ask the classic question. You sure. work with the geriatric population more. So you're working with high risk patients. Mm-hmm. How has COVID affected your therapy or your practice
1: yeah so right now typically we're not having patients come down to our therapy gym almost Mm. ever we have some come down but it can only you can only have one or two patients inside the therapy gym at one time and it's never our skilled patients our short-term it's always our long-term patients who live there because our short-term patients coming into a new facility have to be isolated for 14 days Mm. so you're not getting to use the equipment in your therapy gym that you're used to using. I mean, we're not used to using it now because it's been a year um, mm-hmm. almost.
0: So you have to think of different ways to mm-hmm. get your work done.
1: Exactly. Um, if you bring anything into their rooms, you have to be able to sanitize it afterwards because, you know, infection control is very important, especially during these unprecedented times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So being able to make sure that whatever you bring into the room, you can bring out of the room clean and return. Um, And then it's, it's crazy to see the increased level of social isolation because Mm. of, you know, staying six feet away and social distancing. And those are important because those individuals are at a higher risk of, if they get COVID, they are at a much higher risk of dying. Mm -hmm. So you have to be safe, but you also, and as an OT, right, that quality of life, you also want to maintain a good quality of life. And it is, it's hard to wrestle with how do we keep these patients safe, but also make sure that they're not in the room alone every day doing nothing. And you have, yeah, you have 40 sure minutes. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Emotional, mental, spiritual health is all very important part of being right. Part of a holistic approach. So mm-hmm. how do you how do you get them to do something they enjoy outside of the 40 minutes you see them in therapy and the 20 minutes of the day that they see the activities department. So the social isolation is tough. I'm used to seeing people out playing bingo, people doing, you know, baking groups, ice cream groups, things like that. And those just don't happen right now because they're not it's unsafe. And I understand and I agree, you know, I I know that needs to happen, but it's still hard to see all these patients being isolated and you have to I mean, you're probably one
0: of the better parts of their day, you walking in the room and at least giving them some conversation.
1: Well, it depends (laughs) what we're working on. (laughs) Sometimes, but (laughs) other times, definitely not.
0: That's true. (laughs) I mean for me I already feel that mental effect from mm-hmm. social isolation I can't imagine.
1: Absolutely. Well just
0: being stuck in my room even. Yeah,
1: and our skilled patients, you know, they're not allowed to leave their room at all, right? Until mm-hmm. 14 days. Anytime we see them, we have, you know, our N95 mask, our face shield and a gown on. So they're not even seeing a person. You you don't see their facial expressions. Mm-hmm. You only see the individual's eyes. So I try and smile. At somebody, or shake my head, or frown, and I don't know if I'm communicating that nonverbal appropriately because they can't see sixty yeah. percent of my face, and that that can that can be tough. You know, I, I can see how that would be really really hard.
0: That's a tough situation because balancing, like you were saying, balancing that holistic approach, but also trying to be safe, and mm-hmm. it's just been such a challenge over over the past years. So. Absolutely. All right. Well, I don't want to end on that note. So, <laughs> <laughs> me neither. I wanna, can you can you kind of talk about maybe some patient interactions that have stuck out to you, like, or some success stories that you feel like yeah. have really made an had an impact on your life? Even, yeah.
1: Um, my first, the first job I had, I had an individual I worked with uh, who was a hundred years old. He was the first oh, wow. patient. Yep, he was the first patient at my first job that oh, I ever wow. worked with. I I know it's kind of a stupid, you know, uh, it's like, oh yeah, my first patient, my first job was my most memorable patient. It, he, <laughs> not necessarily because of what was difficult, but because of the kind of person that he was. Because of him, I find at least one person in every building that I've worked at. Uh, and I ask him what the word today is because he would always ask me. You know, he'd go, Curtis, what's the word today? You know, what's your word today? Uh, and at the time, it was loans, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> student loans, and interest so, rates. Right? Yeah, interest rates. Right? Exactly. Can I hyphen that? <laughs> <laughs> and he'd always say, you know, saving up is important. You know, you got to save for those loans and save for that house or save for this. So, I, ever since then. And because of this gentleman, I try and find one person who maybe lives long term at the building and make that personal connection with them. I, I try and see them every day or every other day or however often as possible. You know, hey, Jim or Steve or Bob, you know, what, what what's the word today? It kind of creates that connection with an individual that one, you look forward to. And I think, two, it, it makes a difference. That person can count on seeing you. Mm-hmm. You know that that makes a difference. That personal touch. Um,
0: was was your podcast inspired by your first patient?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> I like, feel like
0: there's totally.
1: A it was it there. was not. <laughs> it was inspired by the fact that my buddy Zach and I. One thing we do is we just like to talk to each other and mm. you know live into each other's lives a little bit more, get to know each other a little bit better, and yeah, just have those conversations that that provide that good quality friendship, you know?
0: I think those moments are too far and few between nowadays. I think it's important to make that more of a priority in our lives. Yeah,
1: I agree. One of my favorite things that I ask my patients because they're geriatric, so they're anywhere from, you know, 50s to 90s to 100s. Uh, If I see a wedding ring on their hand, I'll ask them how long they've been married. And, you know, sometimes in 25 years, 30 years, 50 years, 60 years, you know, I go, wow, that's, that's crazy. I've been married for three years. (laughs) So I'm not (laughs) catching up to you. (laughs) Right. So I'm not (laughs) catching up to you anytime soon. But I always ask him, you know, what's, what's your secret? How did you get to 60 years of marriage? And, you know, you guys stayed happy and together and that's what I want. So what's the secret? And I've gotten so many different responses. It makes me laugh every time. Some of them go, I I have no idea. And (laughs) other other ones, one guy literally told me, he said, well, you know, she worked the day shift and I worked the night shift, which meant there wasn't a lot of time to fight. So... So, but other people, you know, listening and being patient, remembering it's you two versus the problem, you know, like real responses, you know, Mm
0: -hmm. but that's
1: one of my favorite things because it gets people talking and, you know, about something that matters to them.
0: I appreciate you coming on and talking about those things because even as a nurse, I learned so much. So (laughs) not saying that nurses know a lot, but I feel like I learned a lot about your field and I really appreciate the more holistic approach that you give to patients and, as a patient, I think OT would be an awesome part of my care. So thank you for everything you do. You're amazing.
1: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you and you know, the nurses around the world, I guess, uh, do as well. I mean, keeping everybody on the up and up and healthy and, you know, stabilizing and everything from the ER to, you know, acute care to emergency situations to long term uh you know, if mm-hmm. you guys weren't around, we wouldn't even be able to do therapy with people because they'd be consistently having respirations that are way crazy or heart, heart rate that is just out of this world or blood pressure that's so low. <laughs> you would have to look down to see it, you know. So thank you for everything you guys do as well.
0: Mm-hmm. We just need to learn how to do it better together, which is what this podcast is right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Okay, you guys have to agree. Curtis had some really wonderful stories on how he helps his patients get back to where they want to be. I'm really thankful that he was willing to talk to us, and I also really enjoyed the part where he talked about different interactions between healthcare professionals and how those can be improved. Stay tuned next week for when I speak to an occupational therapist that specializes in pediatrics. Her stories are also super interesting. Don't forget to check out Curtis's podcast, Words with Curtis and Zach and follow us on social media at The Banana Bag Podcast. You can also visit our website to find out more information, including ways to support us, thebananabagpodcast.com. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and thank you so much for listening.